0: To a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: (laughs) We cannot handpick which emotions we do and don't want to feel. If we numb or ignore some of them, we create distance from all of them. Feeling disconnected and numb to our emotions, life can also lose a sense of vitality and zest. In cutting out feeling vulnerable, we have also sacrificed feeling so much joy, peace, and goodness. Valeria interviews Dr. Pauline Yegnazarpek. She is a licensed psychologist in California, New York, with a private practice in Santa Barbara. She specializes in working with the children of immigrants to navigate their relationships with parents, spouses, children, by understanding their background, breaking cultural trauma patterns, and integrating themselves to become fuller and freer versions of themselves. Meet Dr. Pauline at therapywithpauline.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Pauline Yagnazar-Peck.
0: In your own words, who is Pauline yegnazar Peck?
2: I am somebody who tries to bless others in the ways that I have been blessed and in the specific talents and strengths that, that I have and that I'm discovering.
0: Do you have any spiritual belief systems, views, ideas about yourself in life?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I believe... I, I believe first and foremost that I'm, I'm both unique and exactly like everybody else. Uh, I'm, I'm unique in that I, I believe everybody has a specific purpose. I believe everybody has a specific calling. I believe everybody has a particular story that is unfolding. But I also believe that I am exactly like everyone else, you know, we're inherently worthy, um, deserving of love. Um, longing to love and be loved, um, you know, in, in need of connection and wanting to be of service. And so I think that's that's my my spiritual beliefs is that we we all are unique, and we're we're all the same, and everybody has something to offer, and we're deeply, deeply connected. So you know it's 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 less about roles and it's far more about understanding that connection and and that in in this version I might be the giver but in another version I very much could have been the receiver and so it's it's just it's a it's a humbling view it's a positive view of life I always I also believe there's a that we're a part of nature and just like nature you know the the acorn knows that it's it's just built to unfold into that tree. It doesn't have to will itself. It doesn't have to try and strive and manage. It just becomes the tree because the cells in it know that's where we're going. I, I truly believe that each of us are on a path of unfolding that is deeply part of who we are. And it's, it's less about making it happen and more about kind of getting out of the way of the natural process of, of, of becoming.
0: When you say being unique and at the same time, the same, so that's the, it goes back to the paradox, which is what life ultimately is, in a way. <laughs> I know we, I go deeper into these conversations a lot of times, but I will stop here before I just <laughs> get out of control <laughs> on that. Ah, I love what you said about nature, right, that we are nature too, and what really caught my attention within the, the comment he made about nature and the unfolding of life as it does and not getting, getting out of the way. So how do we learn to do that? Because it seems that we have free will to choose and do things, um, go against life even. It feels that way. But talk to me for a moment about this idea of getting out of the way and letting life, letting ourselves become who. We are supposed to become.
2: Yeah, I, I think there are a number of different ways. And I I want to acknowledge first that I, I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And I know that's not the first time you've you've heard that, but in that I think that we, in many ways, can be, we can bump up against our humanness often. And I think one way that we stay out of the way is by acknowledging the humanness and the ways in which our humanness shows up and everyone shows up a little bit differently. You know, I am not someone who naturally... Is inclined to surrender. You know, I'm more of a a fighter, a doer, a giver. <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> you know, it's like a <laughs> so heron, and yet. I know that that's my humanness and I know that I don't have to, you know, one of the mantras I I continuously use with myself and clients is balancing effort and ease. And I learned that kind of from the yoga world because when I was doing yoga and getting trained to be certified, I, I would really want to get into poses. And if you know anything about the body is that the more that you want to get into a stretch or into a pose, the more tension, the more pressure, the more prone to injury you are and you actually have to let it unfold because you don't want to overstretch you don't want to overdo the body because there's this this way that it pulls back and so that practice physically really helped me to kind of see that not everything has to be gotten in this direct straight ahead all force kind of way that surrender and time off and rest and reflection that these are essential ways for me and probably for many people, for me, I'm able to kind of get out of the way because if I do just what is automatic, my humanness is to do it and do it big and do it a lot and do it all at once. And that's not going to be the case. So the it's about knowing our humanness and then finding ways to balance that and to find practices, particularly embodied practices. I mean, things like exercise or movement, um, yoga, meditation, time to sit and journal, being in nature. These are ways that I feel I come back to my spiritual core and I come back to moments where I'm able to see where am I trying to make something happen and where do I need to bring some softness and some surrender? And one other part about doing that kind of reflection is that we are able to see patterns. You know, there have been so many times where I've been focused on doing one thing and I just get these little, you know, a friend says something to me and someone else says something else and I get recommended a book and I, you know, and I used to just ignore those things. And now I say, if it happens more than once, I have really got to pay attention because, you know, I think it's, it's Oprah who who says this very well. She says, you know, at first the universe will whisper and then it'll throw a brick upside your head. You know? and, and I love that because I think it's, if we don't have enough time to reflect and we don't somehow, you know, move beyond the humanness, which is get out of the everyday and have these moments of of pause, of stillness, of of kind of transcendence, then we don't oftentimes we're not open to and we don't oftentimes notice the patterns, the whisperings of things that are saying, This is your path, this is what's right, this is the next step. And so we can't follow the unfolding if mm. I think we're so busy caught in the day-to-day that we just don't, we're not we are not open to those levels, it's like the radio station, you know, you're not operating at that frequency, so you're not hearing the message that's coming through. It's so true though, as you speak, I'm just
0: thinking about, kind of reflecting really, it's almost like images in the mind showing me where I'm doing exactly that, <laughs> kind of not going beyond my human is, In a way, I love the way you say that, because I have been reflecting about going beyond the mind. But then today, for some reason, it's funny you say that, because I have been thinking about going before the mind or before humanness, which means being a spirit being. If it is a space which feels like, in a way, or maybe it's not even a feeling of the spirit being, the spiritual person, not even a person, right? Spiritual being. So interesting that you said that because I have been, yeah, reflecting, contemplating this idea of not being caught up within the world of humanness and the mind all the time, using more for functional things. Like speaking now, it's really, I try not to come from a place of, let's say, learned space where I know everything and I have everything programmed, ready to, all the answers to give or the questions to ask. But it just being here and attentive to this moment, being present to what is happening. use the sound of your voice and the way you speak about these things that resonate deeply with the intellect. And I wonder a lot of times, why? Why am I so interested in these things? So it might be that space of spirit, of spirit being. What a fascinating journey or experience this is how did you come to these understandings Pauline to this timeless wisdom that you speak of
2: well I don't know if I have arrived <laughs> <laughs> yeah right Not i a will place. Just, I will just say that I mean I think that in many ways it's through through mistakes through trial and error you know I think that there's there's no way to know about you know being spirit without really like I said bumping up against humanity and I, I it's you know, when people hear others speak about these spiritual things, I think sometimes we can feel like we other them, like, oh, that person, they must live in a very different world, and they must, you know, occupy a very different space, and I just, I want to normalize and say, you know, well, I, I have my own daily struggles, right, I'm a—I'm a mom, I'm pregnant with my second child, I have a business, life is hectic, and it's busy, and so I, I, I think, One thing that I have learned from making mistakes and, you know, oftentimes adding to my own suffering is to have a a tremendous amount of grace for myself. And to recognize, like, I am, I am really on a path of learning. Like you said, it's not about ending up somewhere and knowing, and then that becomes a place you can, you know, put up the lawn chair and take out a cold drink and just you know, <laughs> relax. Is like, it's, it's having grace with ourselves. It's like, I'm, I'm learning about this because I notice that when I'm operating from a place of just thinking from my mind, just doing with my body, that I'm, I actually miss out on so much joy and so much meaning that is present in my life, not because I need things to be different, but exactly as it is right now. I think that I've had moments of kind of tremendous pain or confusion or loss or things not working out and having disappointment, and I think that it's in the, the painful moments that I think you have a choice to kind of find it within yourself, right? When the external is not working, you can look in and say, okay, there, there has to be more, you know? It has to be more than just what I do, the degrees I get. You know, my my mom died 14 years ago and I remember that was such a critical point for me. It was like, I was so young, I was in my early 20s and, you know, just had started my my first grad school experience and I had all these Things, And it almost felt like I had taken education and this path of knowing as a way to buffer and protect myself from pain. and it's it couldn't be farther from the truth. And so I think that when we are rocked, when our world is flipped upside down, when we are you know in that tight place and we are hurting, I think that's when you know there is some choice. Again, not everybody does it then, but there's choice to say, is there something else? Is there another inner wisdom when my body can't go on? My mind doesn't see a way out of this. That is there something else that I possess, something else that I'm connected to that actually is a wellspring of hope, of positivity, of resilience, of beauty, of you know joy? And, and I tapped into that through some of the hardest days of my mom being sick and the aftermath of it. And from there I knew it's like, okay, what we see is not everything that there is. And there are these deeper things that are, that are at play. And if I can tap into that, then uh, in some ways I, I I don't have to always, um, it's not such a, a limited and small existence anymore. And so I think it just began a path of openness and curiosity. And like I said, I am still actively actively on it because i it's it's an, a new day so it's a new challenge it's a new perspective and then you have to remember what you learned and that's years ago and say oh yes 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 i've been here before let's let's do it differently than we're trying right now
0: you are a psychologist so my question is what was the inspiration and intention to become a psychologist that specializes in in the field of children of immigrants in mental health. I'd love to know more about that,
2: although I already read about it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's, I grew up in Iran or I was born in Iran and I moved to the US and grew up in the US um, and I'm Armenian in terms of my ethnicity. And so I, everybody, I think even as a psychologist, I, I, I got caught in this is everybody thinks the way they grew up is just the way, you know, The way it was, yeah. And I think it Uh, (laughs) it takes a while to realize. (laughs) Oh, I I had again the uniqueness, but also the connection to everybody else, you know. And there was there there was just this kind of um, growing up here that I. I I always was straddling different worlds, right? I was straddling different cultural norms. There was was stuff going on in my family There was a way to be, especially as the eldest daughter, that didn't fit when I was out in the world, mostly in white spaces, and I was acting different ways. And, you know, phenotypically, physically, um, I passed for being white or, you know, you know, born here. And so it wasn't like I was dark skinned or had a very different name that would really highlight that I'm, I'm different in some ways. And so oftentimes it was an even more confusing experience because it was like I had all of these different ways that I, I could be and I could understand myself and I could interact with others. And the rules were continuously changing, you know, depending on what the cultural context was. And, you know, as I went off to college, and it was the first time, you know, know—it was kind of on my own, it was the first time I was really seeing my family more objectively rather than just, oh, this is the way it was for everybody. It was the first time that I was also struggling to understand my emotions, understand my emotional world. um, And I just felt kind of lost, like, oh, what are some of these feelings? And what do I do with this? And, when I would talk to other people, especially people who had been born here or from other families that were not immigrant families, a lot of people had gotten some of this instruction and guidance in their families, and I thought, i got none of this in my family. This <laughs> is so foreign to me. Like, we have mental health. Like, you know, my family was very much, you know, my parents were pastors and they still do a lot of spiritual work out in the world. So there was definitely the spiritual realm and the physical realm, but the emotional realm was kind of like Mm. everywhere, but nowhere at once. Mm, (laughs) You're feeling feeling that way. It's a stomachache. Have some tea. You know, it was, it was, it wasn't a lot of discussion around, Oh, that might be an anxious feeling. Or are you feeling what's the difference between disappointment and you know, rejection. It was like those. Sometimes, even when I was doing um, therapy in Parsi or English or in Armenian, I wouldn't have the words for these emotions because they, some of them, don't quite exist in the same way that we have them in English. So, as I kind of graduated from college and went on to my first degree. I was studying more and more about race and culture and ethnicity. These these topics always engaged me because I was beginning to see that my individual experience had a name, had some theories around it, had frameworks. People would study this, and even as I made a decision to become a psychologist and start the long road for for training for that. I was noticing that so many of these conversations were actually missing from what I was reading. You know, it was like, I was, I was not seeing, it was like, this is how to do therapy. And I would always ask like, for whom, like who, you know, who, who is the client here? And this is what a healthy relationship looks like. And I think, I thought, again, for whom, you know, like, let's be really um, curious about what kinds of, of, ideals and norms are being standardized as the right way, rather than noticing that therapy, psychology, there's a particular Western lens from which we view these things. And so, you know, as I I finished my, you know, early training through school and, and was seeing many, many college students, I got to work with thousands of the children of immigrants. And I can't tell you How many times someone would say, I know this is unhealthy, but I also feel so guilty because of this, that, or I'm having such a hard time taking care of myself because I see, you know, I've seen my parents work night and day to make ends meet and they're still doing that. And I thought, okay, I am, I am resonating with this. This is something. This is an experience. This is a, a real way of of engaging with mental health that's not being talked about. And seeing the sheer volume of people that I saw over, you know, I, I want to, thousands and thousands and thousands over my ten plus years of training and being licensed and doing, you know, ridiculous hours to qualify for things. I was, I think, because of the sheer volume of it, it wasn't one or two. It was like, wow, this is. An experience that many children of immigrants have around mental health, around relationships, around self-care, around, you know, being able to, like I said, straddle those different cultural worlds. And it wasn't really until I had my son, my first son, who's now two, that I just had kind of an awakening. You know, there's something about having a child that kind of, I like to say, it is such a big, beautiful You know, gift and a balm. You know, it just kind of it blows everything up, and then you can see everything clearly. You know, (laughs) life will never be the same. And I just thought, you know, someone asked me, "What is you know, what is your your ideal person that you want to work with? That you want to serve?" And I I just kind of always looked in the mirror and said, like me. You know, me from years ago. Me up and having to kind of figure it all out on my own it was so confusing and there was so much shame that almost I needed that support I remember my first therapeutic experience I felt so so much shame in doing it it was a secret for my family and even though the therapist was wonderful I felt like many times he completely missed the nuances of my particular family and that an immigrant family operates differently and so I have different challenges and I thought that's that's where I think I'm going to make the most impact. And so I really kind of kind of honed in on working with the children of immigrants to be the, the gaps, you know, to fill in the gaps of what I think many of us don't get from our families. And many of us then have the responsibility of doing as, as adults. And so I work with all adults, really navigating how to break cycles, right? How to look at your culture and say, what do I want to take from it? What do I want to fix? What do I want to, just completely disregard and, and, you know, say, that's going to stop with me, this generation, it's not going to be passed on even through my life. And to do that requires kind of having an intimate understanding of this, like the subtleties of it, you no, know? and, and realizing that mental health is not just a, a universal thing that you can say relationships is not universal, we have to be able to place it in the full holistic culture of somebody, because that's the only way that what we're, what we're working with is going to actually have an impact on their lives if it's appropriate. And if it speaks to the truth of what they're experiencing. So that's kind of, I came to this kind of like through my own journey and not even knowing and having worked and realized, Oh, what is it that makes me so excited to talk about? Oh, it's with my girlfriends when we're talking about the interactions we see with you know, our parents and our kids and noticing like, oh, that happened to me. It's like those conversations I was coming alive and I thought I this is this is where I'm called to be. Everything you say, this background
0: of who you have become, it makes so much sense to me because it's coming from the place of deep knowing oneself and the desire to continue to know what makes you who you are. And I love the way you talk about mental health that actually cannot generalize mental health. That's the first time I hear that way. So from your perspective, from the place you are today, how would you define
2: mental health? I mean, I'll give an abstract answer. Yeah. And I, 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 distra- I, I describe it as flexibility. Hmm. I think, and and this is so appropriate to the children of immigrants. I I describe it as flexibility. But I I will also say it's flexibility while also being grounded. You know, because the children of immigrants do a lot of adaptation, Right. You learn in what settings I could immediately go from, you know, speaking with like a very kind voice to somebody that's older than me and my family, to immediately going into another setting, having a different voice and saying, I'm here to present. You know, it was like a completely different switch that I don't I didn't even have to consciously make. I knew how to be flexible because it was part of my surviving in a place where I needed Different set of rules and norms and skills, but adaptation alone disconnects us because then you're thinking, Where is my authentic self? Where are the places where I feel like I can just exist? I'm not just looking at how to adapt. And so it has to be balanced with the groundedness. And I see groundedness as connected to your deeper values. Is the values are going to be the compass? You know, it's going to be the. I have two metaphors for values one is the compass that will help you, lead you in the midst, no matter how far off track you are, it will let you know which way is up, down, left and right, And as well as the lighthouse. So in the midst of the storm, you might not know exactly where you are, but the lighthouse gives you a general direction and it gives you hope and you kind of cling to that and you move toward that and that your path will become enlightened as you move toward that. And so I think that when you're flexible, it allows us to... Adapt because life needs that. You know, once the second you have it all figured out, it's changing again. <laughs> and I, 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 know that very, very much. Even more so now, having children because they're constantly changing. So, you know, and there's a sense of, but how do I stay grounded so that I can? And I give this metaphor as well for the children of immigrants. I say. You know, you act differently when you go on vacation to France or to Italy or to uh, Paraguay than you do here in, in California. And yet, is there a part of that, that you are always you? Is there a genuine part of you that comes along, even if you might be eating different foods, operating in different ways, trying different languages, and we see mental health in that way, your ability to adapt and respond um in an effective way, given the situation to not cling on to the past, but to be open to newness, to be, um, it's almost like bending rather than breaking each time there's a shift. And yet, can you do that in a place that doesn't feel totally disconnected from yourself? You don't know who you are, like you're playing a role. Can you have also a groundedness in your own value system and who the essence of you is, can that also be balanced with the flexibility? So that's kind of how I see mental health. And I think that working with the children of immigrants, they do great with the flexibility piece. They, they struggle with the, the groundedness.
0: So you keep going back to balance and the same time, paradox is just being open to life and to ourselves uh, through the chains, but at the same time, knowing who we are. And you talk about values, that also makes a lot of sense to me, although I don't use those words, but values to me would translate into spiritual knowledge, Mm -hmm. spiritual understanding and all that, going as deep as I can go with that. So for you, what are your values? What would that translate into?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something as, as expected is changing from time to time. But I think one of my deep values is courage. I go back to courage again and again. There have been so many points in my life where I've been afraid. I've been, you know, doubtful and I've done it anyway. And there is this deep value in being courageous you know, even, you know, obviously the definition of courage is doing it even if you're afraid. And so I think that I, I do value like a a certain boldness and a certain courage that is that is intertwined with deep compassion and heart. You know, it's not just being bold and reckless. It's being courageous because, you know, this is the right thing to do. It's being courageous because, this is the thing that will bring, like I was saying, the most blessing. It's courageous because this is vulnerable, and it's going to grow you. And so, I am somebody that I think truly values that when we're, where there's that fork in the road, and you can do the easier thing that would be more comfortable, or you can do the slightly harder thing that would be, you know, okay, this this would be good though. It would be good for me, and it would be good for others. It would just take it would take me being. learner again. It would take me being humble. It would take me asking for support. I think I really value leaning on the courage piece as well as to be, you know, really honest. I am somebody who values honesty. And I think I'm, I'm, continuously I say be honest but be kind and I'm I'm always wanting to bring the balance of especially with my clinical work is like sometimes you know just like all of us I probably go to my own therapist and she sees things so clearly but if you just say oh well this is what's happening and you should do I mean that person is gonna they're not ready for that and it's gonna hurt the relationship so it's like how do we balance honesty with also kindness and 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 real respect for the other person as this other person who just like you at times in their life is going to be not seeing certain things until they're ready to see them in their own time and in their own kind of divine intervention and divine path. And there's this, again, you're right. The balance part is so much of the part of of the way that I work is I really truly value honesty, but I'm always going back to, and is it kind? it's gotta be both it's gotta be both honest and kind because that's the way it's going to be received and i think that that showcases that another true value of mine is relationships that i i really value you know the 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 work that it takes but also the the meaning that you get and the, the sense of purpose and connection i think i have i've looking back at my life i've made a lot of my decisions around my relationships. And I don't regret that because that's been my value and my lighthouse has been investing in me within the context of somebody else, because I, that's, that's where, that's where we thrive. You know, you can be alone and have all these accomplishments and everything, but if you feel deeply connected to other people, there's a certain sense of alienation. And it's almost like for me, a certain wastedness of all of that. And I want to make sure that I'm in deep relationship with other people as well as still in relationship with myself right so are there ways i'm treating myself the way that i would treat a close friend and if not where do i need to make some adjustments so i would say those are the three that are really coming to mind even though you know there's so many others that i could i could list i think it's important not to just say oh all of them but to really say these are a few things that that are are guiding me in in this season of my life. It's a sense of courage, a sense of honesty, you know, supported by kindness and also to be deeply invested in my relationships.
0: You're beautiful Pauline. Really beautiful. Yeah, it comes to me like that's the image, which is not an image really. It's just this feeling of beauty. That's what I see in nature, in a flower. It's just naturally beautiful and just there beautifully. Thank you so much for being that as a human being, using words and intention. It's truly
2: beautiful. Thank you.
0: It becomes emotional. I don't know why. (laughs) It touches the heart, right? So when you say courage, what came to me when I think about this conditioned mind and body, I think I think about trust. I know you didn't mention trust, but I, I kind of heard that in a way, almost underneath your words, that there's a trust in yourself as life itself, or perhaps even in the spiritual realm. But am I hearing something that it's true <laughs> in a way, or it's just me kind of projecting my own
2: understandings, my own ideas? No, I think that that's absolutely true. And I think that Trust. I, I was just writing something about confidence, and it's it's confidence and trust, and you know, learning to listen to that voice and engage with it in a courageous way. I think all of it comes, you know, comes back to not a sense of I know exactly, uh, you know, what I'm going to do and how it's going to look, but it's I'm giving myself the grace to figure it out as I go that I, I can ask for support when I need it, that I will be loved even if I don't succeed. And I think many of these things working with you know lots of clients who have all sorts of childhood wounds and childhood traumas, I think it, it's an experience that has to be experienced. It, it's, it's a truth that has to be experienced by us first before we're able to keep experiencing it on our own. And I will say my grandmother gave me that. You know, my grandmother gave me, when I think of unconditional love and I think of unconditional support, she was that woman. I never heard her say a bad thing about anybody, even people who had done really horrible things to her. She was continuously encouraging. She was always interested in what I was doing. And I felt like if I got an A plus or if I failed the test and came crying to her, it would not matter. She would love me because of who I am to her. she would love me because I am her flesh and blood and it is it is who she is is to love others. and that love is not something that I ever had to worry about. and you know i I know now as I've processed a lot of my own childhood and what has given me some of this boldness that I, I you know, family tell stories of even being a young child and saying certain things and doing certain things and it's it's because, you know, the first four years of my life and, you know, arguably the first five years are the are, are most important for a lot of of, of things that, that will carry through in our lifetimes. Not that they're ever not things you could work through or work on, but they set the foundation. My grandmother was very active in my life for the first, you know, four or five years of my life. And that, I think, made all of the difference because in my body... I knew what it was like for somebody to love me without me having to earn it and somebody to love me, no matter what it was that I was, that I was doing, you know, the, the, the most harsh thing she ever said to me, you know, and and she would say sometimes is, oh, you did that. And it would be, maybe I hit my sister or I took something I wasn't supposed to. And she would look at me and just say, oh, you did that. And it would make me just kind of question like, oh, she's loving me like this. Like I, 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 I. Yeah, I've got to be, I've got to be intentional about what I do and I have power in my actions, but I never felt it was from a punitive place or from a place that, you know, I felt like I was going to be nervous that she would take it away. And so I think that it's easy to think of a lot of these things as, you know, confidence or trust or spirituality. These things are innately a part of us. And I I believe in, in hearing stories and working with people for over a decade now that these are things we have to experience first. It's in us. We have the innate capacity for these things, trusting ourselves, knowing what our inner voice sounds like, you know, identifying the wisdom within us. But if you have no, no model of that in a relationship, because humans learn best in relationship, we don't learn anything outside of relationship. It has to be in relationship. I learned a lot of this early on from my grandmother. And I don't think I had really made that connection until she passed away last year. And in processing the guilt, not the the guilt, the grief around that, I've realized, oh my goodness, that was the relationship in which I I became emboldened and I was able to to really fully experience another person loving me for exactly as as I was. And I think that has stayed with me. And it's something that I've consciously cultivated and supported through my life actions. We become more and more courageous the more we act courageously like you want you want the thing do the thing you know do the thing you want you want to be more honest start being honest you want to be kinder start doing things that are kind you will begin to cultivate that so I I don't want to say our actions don't matter but I think that the relationship that I had with her really set the imprint in my nervous system in that first primal you know primitive and 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 um Foundational relationship that this is this is something I can be. This is an area that I can I can lean into without fear of of what it will turn into.
0: With that story, which is um, not a story to you, it's the relationship, the lessons we learn with relationships, or it's a relationship to relating to. Makes me think about. I mean, that's exactly what therapists do, that your yes. job. It's like a grandmother, the loving grandmother that loves you no matter what. And no judgments, just accepting, open, right? It's almost like yes. a mirror. It can be that. Huh? Why not? Yes,
2: absolutely. Mm, I've yeah. never thought of it that way. But yes, it's the non-judgment. It's the support. It's the, I want you to be making the best choices for you, but only because I don't want you to suffer. Not because you have to make me proud or I would be upset with you. It's not about me. It's I I want the best for you. And I'm here, you know, regardless of what happened. And I'm there to compassionately be there with you. You know, it's it's, it's so, so, so powerful. And you're right. That's the, the entirety of therapy is based on the relationship. Yeah. So we're almost at the end and I have so
0: many other <laughs> notes here, but I wanted to mention the guide they have written. It's titled A... Translation Guide for Communicating with Your Immigrant Parents. That's a free guide available on your website. And the guide that looked at it, it has... um, What caught my attention was the scenarios. One, two, and three. So I'd love to hear briefly about them. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) The the guide is, again, you see the, the tip of the iceberg, not what went on underneath the iceberg. You know, to get to that last step is you know, in my... In my high school years, especially, oh my goodness, communicating with my parents was so difficult, you know, like I, I, we, I could say this is orange. They would say it's blue. They would say it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just, we'd go back and forth because again, we weren't, were not we we were not actually living in the same world. We were having very, very different experiences in the same place, um, as is always happening. So there's generational pieces, but huge cultural differences, the way they grew up, the way I grew up. And I was so reactive. I was so reactive because I didn't know how else to be. So it was like they would say this, I would have my knee jerk reaction, and then all of a sudden we would be doing this dance that we would do, and we would be left feeling so hurt at the end. And I, I loved my parents, and I would feel so guilty when it didn't go well, but I was also so angry at them. Like I was just like, understand me, you know? And so this guy came from, you know, I, I started beginning to take various you know, um, I, I call them translations, but I, I started realizing that, you know, it, I'll give you a, a concrete example. This loving grandma of mine, one time I walked into their house and she looked at me, she said, oh, you've gained weight. And I just kind of held it together, went to the bathroom and burst in tears. You know, I was 13 years old and I was like, oh my gosh, like she just commented on my weight. It's such a taboo thing to do in Western culture. It's like to say that a you know young woman in Entering puberty is gained weight is like the worst thing that could happen. And I remember, you know, it must have been my mom who came in and said, you know, honey, in, in grandma's culture, think about it, she grew up on a farm. Um, she grew up somewhat poor and food is a way of saying you've been well. And when you eat, it's she's saying, I'm noticing you. You know, she doesn't have the same context of weight as being thin is what you should be in Western culture. She's thinking, are you fed? Are you, you know, are you not eating because you're stressed? Are you in need of support? It was like she's saying you got a haircut. You know, she wasn't saying it looks bad. Right, right. <laughs> so she was, yeah. you gained weight. It was an <laughs> yeah. observation. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, obviously I was maybe, you know, 13 or 14 at most. But throughout my work with these, you know, thousands of children of immigrants, there were so many times where they would bring in a scenario and say, you know, my mom said this. And I would think back to a certain translation and think, from their cultural perspective, what are they actually saying? What is the, tra- translation. And again, language, just like I was using traveling to different countries, different foods, different norms, different languages. I thought language is one way. They are in a different worldview and a different cultural perspective. But if we, as the children of immigrants who occupy two different, at least, you know, sometimes multiple different cultural, um, you know, positions, if we can learn some of those translations, we'll, we'll be able to communicate better with them. And more so, I think what helped me throughout my kind of early high school years until, you know, really when I was probably in my late twenties, maybe thirties was realizing that I, I've got to have some, some real values driven be you know behaviors that that i can feel good about regardless of what my parents are saying or doing and what I mean by that is like i've got to come away from the interaction even if it didn't go well feeling good about my part in it so these two kind of came together to provide this guide for people and it's just three scenarios one of them is the guilt trip which many many you know cultures it was you know you yeah don't come that's fine we'll just we'll die and we won't see you get married and you know there's just laying on the guilt that every I think any child of an immigrant knows that guilt can be a very very primary strategy in in that the other one was comparison you know continuous comparison to your siblings to others to you know this person's second cousin's daughter's son is now going to Harvard what are you doing you know and the last one of just um what is the, uh, I'm blanking on the last one. Was oh yeah, unsolicited is, advice. Yes, you know, question. let me just tell <laughs> you what's going on. And I thought, these are examples that I've heard. There's many, many, many others I could have included, but this was just a taster of this framework of can we translate it knowing that if my parent loves me I'm not talking abuse situations I'm not talking if a parent is actively harming you in some way I'm saying a parent who loves you but is giving unsolicited advice can we think what does it mean from their cultural viewpoint and if we can translate it and if we compare that to how do you want to show show up and in the guide I have a clear value system of showing up with empathy with responsiveness not reactivity and with curiosity and so compare it with that what are some possible responses that you might have and there's this this real kind of um hope that you could you know create some change in the dynamic even if you just by you responding differently because just like a dance if you step this way the other person all of a sudden is like oh wait we're not doing the usual dance and they might be thrown off a little bit but i always want to kind of have the caveat of but it does not mean that you do this, you're going to change your parents. you got to let go of the fact that you're not going to change your parents. You don't have control for their behavior. These are things that ultimately you're doing so at the end of the day, you can say, I think I understood the meaning of what they were saying, not just the words from my perspective. I also think I treated... That interaction with the kind of values, the kindness, the compassion, the curiosity that I would give anybody else that weren't my parents, that weren't triggering me. And so, those two together, there's hope in creating a different dynamic, but it does not mean you're going to change the other person. Many parents, most parents, are not going to change. And so, the guide is there to say these are very common scenarios. This is what many parents are actually meaning. These are some possible responses. And just to begin to give people a sense that these things that they see as very maybe just part of their family is actually happening more broadly. You know, one in four, you know, people in the United States is a child of an immigrant. So 25% of the population is having this experience in some way, shape, and form. And I just was hoping the guide, especially it being free, was something that I could kind of put out there in a larger scale to to have people feel validated, but have some concrete frameworks and skills to be able to do it differently. We're almost at the end. I do have a few more
0: questions for you. But before that, Pauline, I want to mention the two quotes that I found on your website. You say, translation is the art of existing in two worlds at once. And you said that already. Uh, you mentioned that before about having different experiences. We're all experiencing this reality differently. Beautiful quote. And then you also said, this was by Nelson Mandela. If you talk to a man in the language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to a man in his language, that goes to his heart. Yeah. That's deep, though, because it goes back to to love, doesn't it? And compassion. So speaking in the language that will touch their hearts, not just, um, it doesn't go, won't go to their minds only, it will stop in the heart, to touch the heart. And that I can say that here today with this interview, I mean, how many times did you touch my heart? And you're mm-hmm. probably having, I mean, that's your, the intention of your work, but you're not trying to do that. That's interesting to see how also universal that can be. When you talk about love and other things that we have been saying, it's just, it went straight to the heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So beautiful. Emotions and feelings, do you attribute them to the mental health domain or could they be messages, signs from the spiritual realm?
2: Oh, that's a, it's both. <laughs> ah, yes, paradox <laughs> balance. You know, <laughs> there's no way we are both. (laughs) So it's it's going to be both, you know, there's, there's so many times you could even take that as emotions, as well as body sensations, because emotions live in the body. And so you have many times, you know, I'm taking a year long hypnosis class. And even just today, this morning, we were talking about, you know, a surface level issue that is actually symbolic of something deeper. And you don't have conscious awareness of what it is. And so it might come out as a superficial problem or even a physical problem. And so, you know, he was talking about tightness in the jaw, TNJ, or some other physical thing that somebody will come in to get hypnosis around, and it's actually indicative of something else that they had no conscious awareness of. So I I really do say the way that I describe the emotions is I have kind of a biological and then I have more of a abstract and spiritual way of saying it, you know, emotions are electrochemical. So there's an electrical impulse. There's literally that activation potential that is moving through the neuron and boom, on the other side of the neuron, you are releasing certain, you know, chemicals that then are moving through your body. And it takes about six seconds, pure emotion to be metabolized by the body. So there is this actual physical charge, that kind of electricity that is moving through you. I always say, if you plug in your brain, it's going to light up a 40-watt light bulb because there's actually energy, you know, not just in a woo way, but physical, electric energy that is moving through you at all times. And then there's a the chemical reaction. But I also say that the emotions are the messenger systems of our body. And they're communicating so much more to us. And when we don't listen to the emotions, oftentimes they turn into body sensations. I mean, they're, they're linked to body sensations, but they turn into, um, I will say, Issues with the body, pains in the body, you know, certain things that are unexplainable by even, you know, going to various doctors and trying to figure it out, you know, it could be fatigue, it could be times that I had a client who had lost her voice for six months, literally could not speak for six months. And it was a trauma that was coming up to be addressed. And she had no conscious awareness of it. So she's going to doctor after doctor after doctor, finally landed in, in you know, therapy with me. And we're doing art therapy because we can't talk. You know, so there's, it's, it's, there's just so many ways in which the emotions are the messengers. And when we, when we repress our emotions because we've been through difficult things, when we don't even know how to speak the language of that emotional system. And so we're unaware, you know, and the message is coming through and we're not checking the mail... All of these things can lead to the emotional system not running in this clear way where it's able to give us feedback and we take it. Now, emotions are not facts, right? They, you can have an emotion and it can be based on the way you perceive something. It could not have been someone else. It, it could be all reasons why the emotional system gets, gets um, you know, messy, but we want the system to come through. We want the message to come through so that we can then evaluate it and then figure out how much of it we want to act on and how much of it we want to wait on. And so part of that discernment is also what comes into play with emotional intelligence and emotional competency. But I do believe there's the kind of electrochemical thing that's happening, but that message, you know, emotions are really messengers and they have crucial information for us. And we don't have to immediately take the message and run with it. Right? My, my two my year old has a lot of emotions, right? And that he, he wants ice cream and he's angry, he's not getting ice cream, but does not I'm gonna immediately get him ice cream. But I wanna hear him because if I hear him and I say, You really want this, and I can see how frustrated you are, I'm gonna be able to have him feel seen and validated. That's gonna call him from that place, the two of us can collaborate on actually getting him a meal that would be nutritious. And if we can do that with ourselves, to recognize that these emotions are just information and we don't have to be afraid of them and there are ways we can handle them with more ease and more with, with more effectiveness, then they're, they're like consultants. They consult with us, they give us things, they give us messages, sometimes about the environment, sometimes about deep spiritual matters, but they give us information and we don't want to miss out on that information because it helps us navigate life decisions that much better if we have the full picture. And so I do believe they are, they're communicating a a variety of things. And it's up to first, we have to listen to them to then be able to differentiate what is noise and and what is truly coming from, you know, the depths of our, our inner wisdom and needs to be listened to. Yes,
0: that's another powerful message. Listening to emotions instead of trying to escape them, because or numb them. Right, we tend to be afraid of our own emotions. You probably have heard Advaita Vedanta. This is a Hindu philosophy, in um, spiritual philosophy. And I remember a uh, Swami. He said something. I think it was yesterday or the day before about disturbances. Only a disturbed mind can perceive disturbances anywhere mm. so in order to be disturbed we have to be already disturbed the mind yeah. is already ah, mm. that was a very humbling mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was very humble really I, to, to hear that like oh wow so my mind is disturbed <laughs> and I thought I've been working on it for all this time and that's still mm-hmm. disturbed because <laughs> I feel disturbed by things <laughs> so isn't that interesting ah yeah that was yeah. profound thank you so much again for this conversation today, for everything that you're doing in in such a beautiful way, passing on this wisdom, timeless wisdom, I call it, not just to your clients, but us, your family, your children, yourself, of course, it goes back to you and then your family. It's just the most beautiful thing. I really appreciate you and what you do. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Valeria. I really appreciate that. I want to, I want to just make one last mention yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, of a, you know, because I'm just a solo practitioner in private practice and I balance family and my work, I'm, I'm not able to serve that many people individually. And so this past year, I actually uh, started a program. It's called the Culture and Connection Transformation Program. And it's basically everything I wish I learned, as well as all of these tools that over the years of working with clients, I've seen, oh, this is what helps. And it's for particularly the daughters of immigrants, because I think there's some gendered pieces there. And, and that's the experience I know most intimately. And so this is a one month program. It's not therapy, um, but I'm obviously a psychologist and it's very well backed by, by, you know, therapy and the therapy that I, that I provide, but it is, it's, it's like an educational program and it's it's a high touch program with several sessions lots of tools and exercises and I really guide you through in that month an intensive learning all the things that that I wish we had you know I had learned which is what are the connections to the past in my family what are the things that I kind of brought and bringing with me from my family line Um what are the ways in which i can get better education around emotions so what are the educational what's my um emotional education and how can i learn the, the a different way for dealing with with the emotional system so that i can better take care of myself and then we lastly focus on relationships and giving the tools to really be thriving in relationships not just with self and but with others and so this is a program I'm offering now, and and they can get it, you know from uh, I'll have to put that up on my website, but it's on my Instagram at Pauline, the psychologist is my my Instagram handle, and I have the application there for for a free call to learn about it. And I've already just seen you know women that I would never be able to therapeutically work with, you know, from across the u s and you know other countries you know, learning from this. And I'm just struck by how much their stories are my stories and my story is their story and how much... You know, this is, it just feels very right to be doing this because I keep hearing, oh my gosh, yes, this is, this is what I needed, or I've never heard somebody else have that exact same thing. That's what happens to me. So, um, for those daughters of immigrants listening, that that's a program that they can definitely take advantage of. And, um, it'll be this month in October, 2022 will be the last kind of month that I'm, I'm offering it because then I'll be going on maternity leave, but I hope to bring it back up when I'm back from maternity leave early in, in 2023. And so I just wanted to put that out there too, because that's been such a labor of love and a source of healing. You know, when you're able to put out there something you needed, it's like you're able to give that gift to your young adolescent self. It's like I'm saying to that reactive, confused young, young me, I've got you and I understand you and you make sense. And everything you're going through is is gonna is going to make sense one day. And it's actually going to help you do what you do with kindness, with love, with clarity. So hang in there, you know? So it feels, it feels beautiful to be giving to others, but it also feels good to be kind of, closing that chapter as well and giving back to myself something that I I truly didn't even know I needed, but I, I for years was on the quest to find.
0: Mm, Yeah. How wonderful that sounds. (laughs) So I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. And your website, Pauline, how can we find more information about you and your products and your services beyond Instagram?
2: Of course, my website is www.therapywithpauline.com and it's getting a beautiful, fresh makeover as we speak. And so you might see it in its different iterations, but that's where you can find various blog posts and information about me and and what I offer. Wonderful.
0: I'll have the link of the website and also your program will be there. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much. For your presence here today. And we'll talk soon, Pauline. Bye for now, my dear.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Pauline yegnazar and her work, please visit therapywithpauline.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.